Amen. Please take your Bibles this evening and turn with me to the Old Testament prophet Hosea and the prophecy of Hosea and the last chapter of Hosea, chapter 14. Our text is found in verse 4. Hosea 14 and verse 4. This is God Himself, Jehovah, that is speaking. I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely, for mine anger is turned away from Him. I will heal their backsliding. This evening we come to the second of three sermons on this theme of backsliding, uh, that condition of the believer who is in a a state of spiritual declension or spiritual uh, decay where, where his or her love has waxed cold, where faith is is not vibrant and obedience is not pursued, where there is a lack of walking and seeking and desiring that communion which the Lord Jesus Christ offers to us and provides for us. So we're thinking uh, over these sermons about what the Bible says regarding this condition of of backsliding. We began last Wednesday uh, by, first of all, opening our Bibles under this theme of recognizing Backsliding. What does the Bible teach us <clears throat> about how to diagnose that condition uh, within us? How does it enable us to see the causes and characteristics and so on? And this evening we turn then to the recovery, having identified it. What is the recovery, the treatment, if you will? And then Lord willing, we'll go on uh, next Wednesday to speak more uh, about the prevention of it, which in many ways is the capstone, you know, what, what the Lord provides us to defend and, and help us uh, to be uh, redirected from, from such things. We're thinking about, in that case, what could be and what should be. Last week we were thinking about what all too often is, and here we're thinking about how it is that the Lord is pleased to recover us, to enable us to walk in love uh, with Him and to be basking in the love of Christ that He bears toward His bride. Uh, One of our free church fathers known well uh, among you, John Duncan, whom we call Rabbi Duncan, in one of his many episodes of spiritual vexation, wrote the following. He said, it is not a clean desertion. It is very dirty. The great physician best knows uh, the symptoms of my malady, but I know the cause, a life of self-pleasing instead of to the glory of God, backsliding. And now, when there is the desire to return, there comes the difficulty. Oh, I have need of the hospital. Heal my soul, for I have sinned against thee, which is a quotation from Psalm 41, verse 4. Heal my soul. Here is a pillar in the faith, a man of eminent godliness, a deep uh, theologian, an earnest and exercised uh, Christian, and he's fallen into these difficult struggles that we were describing Uh, last week. And now he's coming out of it, and Duncan is looking with a desire to return. And what does he say? He says, Lord, help, heal, provide all that I lack. And this is precisely what the great physician offers. This is precisely what he offers to every one of his erring Uh, children, all of his vexed patients, if you will, his dear people. The Lord actually loves. He loves to see his people running to him. He loves to see them turning to him. He's the one who goes out to greet them and embrace them and draw them and bring them to himself. 
And so the question is, how? How does he do this? How is it that he brings about this healing to his backsliding children? What does he provide for recovery? And so this evening we're going to look at four things, uh, four of perhaps many, but four by way of summary of the things that the Lord puts before us by way of uh, recovery. But before I turn there, I do want to say a brief uh, word, and that is that no one has grounds to presume in a backslidden state. So this is going to reinforce for you the need to pay close attention to what God says about the recovery. You heard last week, well, this is something Christians face and so on and so forth. And there may be a few, I certainly hope there are none here this evening, who have entertained the thought, you know, we've heard about, you know, nature of backsliding, recognizing it, and perhaps I can be content then. Perhaps I can be content for a season and rest from the arduous labor of, of seeking the Lord Jesus Christ. And no one has grounds for such presumption to think that they can continue. The fact is that in a single moment, any of us can be swept out of this world from the place I stand in this pulpit to the place that you sit in your pews. There is a door that leads to death. And so we need to be sober. We can't wink at backsliding as if God did, because you know very well that he does not. But there are also those here this evening, dear Christians, who are laboring under the burden of their souls. And if you're finding yourself this evening, you know, you're sick, you're, you're languishing, you're faltering, you're struggling, and you're coming because you desire to, to catch a glimpse of the great physician, then you, my friend, are in an extremely good place. You're in a very good place indeed. We're, we're looking here at Hosea 14, and really the whole book of Hosea carries with it this, this theme. But if you turn to the pretty much the middle of it, in chapter 6 we read in verse 3, Then shall we know... If we follow on to know the Lord, his going forth is prepared as the morning, and he shall come unto us as the rain, as the latter and former rain unto the earth. O Ephraim, what shall I do unto thee? O Judah, what shall I do unto thee? For your goodness is a morning cloud, and as the early dew, it goeth away. And then he goes on uh, to speak further. Here's what the Lord says. He's saying, I will come to those of you who are my people in a withered, dried place and cause my rain to fall upon you. I'll refresh you, in other words. I'll invigorate you. I'll strengthen you. And I know my people, some of you may be thinking to yourself, well, Pastor, truth told, I don't think I'll recover. I don't think I'll recover. Others may, no doubt. I'm not denying what the Bible says. But for me, there are too many discouragements, too many obstacles that I myself have placed in the way, that I've created myself. And I fear I'll grow worse and worse as a result. And you you can think in terms of parallel how many, many believers feel physically, right? There's, there's a parallel here to those who perhaps have gone through weeks and months and years and far longer of intense sickness, and they think there's nothing. There's nothing. There's, there's no hope. There's no way out. There's no relief. This is my permanent condition. And yet the Lord at times proves in His sovereign pleasure when He wills, that in the darkest time, we discover that it is immediately before the dawn, and he's pleased to grant mercy. I mean, you read the Gospels, and this comes out in vivid color, right? You read the Gospels. How many cases in the Lord's ministry do we see of those brought to him at the desperate end of, of themselves, right? Leprosy, demon possession, 
you know, incurable diseases. They've spent all their money, everything else. They've spent all their life in pursuit of relief. And here they find themselves at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as you read those Gospels, they, you, you, you see they discover, they discover relief beyond their wildest imaginations. And all the history of their difficulties are in an instant eliminated. That is the Savior. That is the great physician who comes to heal the backsliding of his broken people. And so there's hope for us. Four things this evening related to the recovery of backsliding. The first is remember. The first is to remember. To remember all that the Lord is and all that the Lord has done. It says, I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely for mine anger is turned away from him. It's interesting that when you come to the New Testament, there's so many examples of this condition and its recovery in the New Testament scriptures. One is in Revelation, right? He comes to the church at Ephesus and he tells them he has this against them that they've left their first love. And the first thing that he says in Revelation 2 verse 5 to them is remember. Remember from where you have fallen, where you left your, your first love. You get the same thing in which church is it? The first church in chapter 3. It's chapter 3, verse 3, same thing. Remember is what we're told. Children, you'll, you'll know this because you'll recall that scene in, in Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, right? He's going up the hill, and uh, he's clean worn out. And so he draws aside and decides to lay down to rest. And while he's sleeping, the scroll falls out of his pocket and rolls under the bench. He wakes up from his nap, and he carries on up the hill, and then he finds himself in extreme difficulty. And he he begins to reach for his scroll, which the Lord had provided for him, and he can't find it anywhere, right? Where's the scroll? What does he do? He has to go back and retrace all his steps in order to find it. He goes back to the bench, and he grabs it, and he's so happy. You know, here are the instructions that the Lord has provided for me in the journey to the heavenly city. He had to be brought to remember. And that, uh, that involved retracing some of those steps. And so, for us, we remember, first of all, by asking the question, where is it that we left off? Where is it that we stepped off uh, the trail? Where is it? You know, what is it that God has, has done with us in the past as well? You know, reflecting on our days of espousals to the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. You think back to the tenderness of the love and the sweetness of his love, you know, to you. And now it's so different. You feel cold and dead and hardened and distant. But then it was the opposite. At that time, it was so different. There was warmth and closeness and softness and vibrancy of attachment to the Lord. We're to remember. We're to remember that. These things. To think back to those times when the Lord took us away and thrilled our hearts with all the expressions of His love. To remember the communion that we've enjoyed and the delights and joys with Him. How there were times when we may have burst over over his love. Times of almost feeling spiritually intoxicated, satiated with all that he has done for his people. We remember as well the acute sense of sin, that tender desire not to displease our bridegroom, the compassion for, for perishing world, for the genuine love and forbearance that we had toward our brethren, to the insatiable appetite that we had for Christ himself, all that belongs to him, all that is attached to him. The Lord says, we're to remember from whence we have fallen. When we would have perhaps given all for Christ, 
would have withheld nothing from him. The question is, why not now? Why not now when we find ourselves in these conditions? You know, in the past we were determined um, to be, to never be unconcerned about our, our own soul. You know, were, were you a fool then? Or are you a fool now? The answer is obvious. You had it right. There was wisdom. There was truth. There was something reliable in that desire and determination. But this forgetfulness, this business about forgetfulness, which we talked about last, last Wednesday, in terms of recognizing our backsliding, that whole business of forgetfulness is part of what got, gets us in this mess in the first place, right? It's, it's part of why we find ourselves in a backslidden state, the reason that we are in such a low ebb. And so part of the recovery includes remembering as an anecdote to that forgetfulness, to remember what God has done. And so you can, in addition, remembering from whence we've fallen, includes fast-forwarding from the first espousals, but looking back to where we, we are in a, a state of backsliding into the past, and begin to ask ourselves questions. What was it that brought us into this present condition? You know, what were the aggravating circumstances, the sources of offense? To be specific, you know, at what point did that happen? You know, what happened to cause the sense of alienation, the departure and withdrawal from one whom our soul loved? And so you begin to think back. You begin to remember. You think back over the last week. And you think back over the things we discussed last, we, we heard last Wednesday, those points of, of, of departure. What was it? Where were we? You know, this, this work of, of self-examination, where did I get off the track? What was happening? And so you think not just over the last week, but the last month and the month before that, and you begin to trace further and further. And then all of the sudden, if you're given a careful exercise, you say, aha, yes, I can see it. I do know. I know precisely where it is that all of this began to change. And it may be that you say to yourself, you know, it's right after that period. I was, I was sailing high spiritually. I was, it was a time of, of, of great happiness and blessedness. But I became full of myself. And I can remember, I can see it now, it happening. I began to swell with pride and unconsciously so at the time. And I left off this thing and I left off that thing regarding my pursuit of of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it could be something like that. You know, for others of you, you're saying to yourself, Pastor, you know, I don't have to think for more than a second. I know exactly when it was. I know when I made that conscious decision to tolerate rather than to mortify a particular sin. A bitter thought that I only bring out on special occasions. A little morsel that I love to keep tucked away that I can savor an offense, someone that I have something against. Or I caved when it came to looking at something on the internet that my conscience told me not to, and I slid into an unrepentant state. What is it? That's the question. When, when was it? Maybe it was that time when something lawful, perfectly lawful that God gave to you, and you had taken it and decided to promote it to being an idol in your life. You gave your inordinate affection and attention and thought and focus. And, and your whole life became consumed with this thing, this interest, this pursuit, this hobby, this person, this possession, whatever it is that you had so much enjoyed. At that point. You took your love from Christ and gave it to this other object. We have to remember. 
You know, it begins here. It begins with remembering from whence we've, we've fallen, praying with faith that the Lord would show us and would enable us to discover that. This, this is exactly what the doctor does, doesn't he? You know, you go into him and you say, look, I'm sick and this is the problem. And he says, okay, what are your symptoms? And then he says, okay, we need to find out what the source is. When did it start? When did this happen? You know, how long have you, have you had this for a day? Have you had this for a week? What's, what's the deal? You know, what were you doing at that time? And what, what, what changes were happening at that time in your life and so on and so forth? So he goes through a whole bunch of questions in order to identify, you know, the source of the problem. So we begin, first of all, by remembering. Secondly, we move to repentance. Secondly, there must be repentance. So here you'll notice uh, the language in verse 2, take with you words and turn to the Lord saying to him, take away all iniquity and receive us graciously. So will we render the calves of our lips. Repentance. Again, you get the, in the, in the Revelation 2 and 3 passages, it's the same thing. He calls them to repent. And the fact is there's no shortcut. There's no shortcut to bypass genuine repentance. That's not just confessing that you've sinned, but repentance with all of its fruit. There's no shortcut here. You know, the world and your own sinful self would love to put up signs, right, that say this way. You know, you can, you can get around it by, by going this way. And the Lord says, no, there's no way around this. There has to be repentance. We have to go to the dust. We have to own our sins before the Lord. You think of the, you want to see the language of the penitent. You look at, uh, look at Psalm 73, verse 22. So foolish was I and ignorant. I was as a beast before thee. And that's, that's the language of the penitent. Repentance is hard work, of course. It is hard work. But we see our need for grace to pursue God's, God's means of, of recovery. And the fact is that the longer you wait, the harder it becomes. Why? Because the longer you wait, the harder your heart becomes. And the greater the level of spiritual medication is needed to apply to your soul. Even our lack of humiliation can humble us. It's actually a beautiful thing. Our indifference itself can arouse and awaken us. Right? We need this. We need this purging of the conscience by the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, as Hebrews 9 says. We need to be confessing our sins and fleeing and bowing before the Lord, humbling ourselves for all the ways we've provoked Him and sending Christ away. You know, it, me it means beginning by saying, I remember all of the love that the Lord Jesus Christ has showed. What was I thinking to go down this road? You look at all that Christ is and all that Christ has done. He is a dream of a husband, right? The bridegroom who is beyond all imagination, we recognize that. We, we bring that back, his patience, his tenderness, his goodness, his determination to withhold nothing to delight our souls, all the blessings that he's given us, more than we ever deserved, more than we could ever ask for, even. There it is, how the Lord has been pleased to delight us. What were we thinking? And then you turn and you begin to look at yourself and, and God says what, what you are and what you've done is spiritual adultery. You had the best possible spouse, the most loving, and you've left that to go whoring as a harlot after others, right? That's what's described in Hosea, the whole book, and in Jeremiah 3, as we saw last week, and in James 4, and in the book of Revelation, Right? You go back to that passage in Jeremiah 3, one of the places that it's mentioned in this whole section of Jeremiah, and in verse 6, 
he says this, Jeremiah 3, verse 6, The Lord said also unto me in the days of Josiah the king, Hast thou seen that which backsliding Israel hath done? She has gone up under, upon every high mountain and under every green tree, and there hath played the harlot. And so the Lord comes and he says, you know, look at this irresistibly attractive Savior. Then look at ourselves. We look at ourselves and, and you are Gomer, right? You're, you're Gomer. You look like Gomer. Act like Gomer. And, and here's where repentance, repentance begins here. It breaks the heart of the believer to look into the glory and love of the Savior and at the betrayal within our own bosoms. And repentance actually flows from the collision of those two things in which we are brought to our, our senses. We take God's side and we justify Him and we say all that He has declared about us is right and we cleave to Him that He's just and true in all that He said. But it also does something else to us. It causes us to lose all of the foundations of trust in ourselves for healing our own backslidings. Right? That, that has to be taken away and for, uh, in order for us to be restored. Our desire to be the one who heals our own backsliding has to be removed. We can fix it. We can tinker. We can adjust, we can improve, we can strive, we can change, we can do all these other things. That has to be taken away from us. Right there, here in, in Hosea 14, I will hear their backsliding. Jeremiah 3, you get the same thing. I will hear the backsliding. Right? The Lord is coming and he's saying, I am the physician. He's saying, I, I will clean you up. And I will apply the salve, and I will restore your strength, and I will overwhelm you with fresh expressions of my love. That's my prerogative. That belongs to me. And so we have to lose everything, right? You can't recover yourself. You can't heal yourself. You know, there are those who, in desperation of circumstances, are led to cry with the words of Jeremiah later on in chapter 31 and verse 18. I have surely heard Ephraim bemoaning himself thus. Thou hast chastised me, and I was chastised as a bullock unaccustomed to the yoke. And then these words, Turn thou me, and I shall be turned. For thou art the Lord, my God. Right, this sense of dependence and weakness and repentance. Thou must turn me, and I'll be turned. Give me back the desire to have a desire for the Lord. Give me that renewed love. Right, there's looking away to Christ. That's what, what's, what's happening here. Looking away to Christ, to the object and source of our healing. He alone is the Lord our, our healer. He will do it. It's not, it's not just possible. You go to a doctor and he say, take this, that, and the other thing. Hopefully that will work. If not, come back. We'll see what we can do. We'll do our best. It's never that way with the Lord. God says, I will, 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 will heal your backsliding. I'll ensure your full restoration to spiritual vitality. This underlines the fact that it's all of grace. It's the Lord from the beginning to the end. The Lord is the fountainhead. It's Christ that we need. It's Christ that we must see. It's Christ that we must draw near to because it is Christ that provides everything. Provides everything even in the midst of our backsliding. He's the one who made provision in his cross for backsliding. So that requires us to act now, to act without delay, to be turning to Him, running to Him. Of course, as we heard, abandoning the cause and the source of, of sin. That which we've un identified as, as unrepentant sin in our life. Turning from that, our backs on that, in order to flee to Him. A complete and decisive and full departure, a breach with that sin.
in order that we might run to him. Right? You go to the doctor, he says you have diabetes. He's also going to say, stop eating sugar. Right? You're, you can't eat sugar. You can't then leave the doctor's office and go to the store and fill your cart with a bunch of candy bars. Right? There has to be change. You have to put the sugar away. And so the Lord calls us right, to turn from sin to the lover of the souls of his people to complete devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ himself, to profit from our sense of weakness and the repentance that that carries with it. Because if our heart is hard, and if our hands are feeble, and if our confidence is shaken, and if our souls are cold, and if our armor is misplaced, then thanks be unto God that he provides everything for the humility, comfort, renewal of our souls. We are nothing. We have nothing. We can do nothing. And recognizing that is liberating. Low thoughts of self, high thoughts of God, walking low before Him, trusting less in the strength of our own arm and to derive all of our sufficiency from his grace. I mean, you, you see a tree that's struggling. There's all sorts of things you could do. You could fertilize it and so on and so forth. And that can help recover and revive the tree and so on. But then there's, there's also the possibility of transplanting it to a better place, putting it where it belongs. You planted it in the wrong spot, putting it where where it truly belongs. The Lord's calling us. Right? We, are, we are to be sensible of our loss of fellowship and communion and distance from Him. We're to be planted at His feet. Thirdly, we need to return. Notice it twice here. Verse 1, O Israel, return unto the Lord thy God, for thou hast fallen by thine iniquities. And again in verse 2, take with you words and turn to the Lord. You'll find this everywhere. We noted it in passing last week in Jeremiah 3. You'll see it actually verse 12, verse 14, verse 22 there. You see it here in, in Hosea. The call to return, to return to the Lord. This flows, this is connected, part of, of repentance. Samuel Rutherford said, quote, divine absence is hell for the believer. Divine absence is hell for the believer. When we by mercy are brought to our senses, the thing that we want most, glory be to his name, the thing that he wants most is for us to return to him. To return to him. Really, the, the heart of recovery is turning to the Lord, seeking, waiting, longing for Him, right? I said last week that in some ways the essence of backsliding is departing from the Lord. Well, likewise, the essence of recovery is returning to the Lord. But it is precisely at this point that the devil has become so skillful in turning back the Lord's people. Because down they go, and then they begin to remember, and then they grieve, and they repent, and turn from those sins, and begin to turn to the Lord, and they're returning to Him. And the devil rises up to meet them, and to intersect them. And he comes with a subtle temptation that lays a large net for the soul of the Christian. So you reach this, this major obstacle, if you will. And if, if I had to summarize it in two words, it would be legal spirit. He comes with a legal spirit. The devil says, well, look at you. You're filthy. You're stinking. You're a stinking sinner. You're nothing to look at. You smell. You're covered in your own filth, and it's all your own fault. What you need to do is clean yourself up clean up your own mess, then you can return to the Lord. 
That would be pretty obvious that that's wrong. But there's another angle with this, isn't there? You've gone back to him with this sin before. You said that you were going to repent last time. You've gone to the Lord with this sin perhaps many times. You can't do it again and be taken seriously. You're a hypocrite if you ask for mercy again. You need to prove that you're not a hypocrite. You need to go a few days, read your Bible and pray and seek the Lord. And You need to go for a season where you're not engaged in the source of what's caused this mess. And after you have a little track record, then you can go back to the Lord in a position of sincerity and tell him all your woes. That is of the devil. That is a satanic snare. Because what you're saying is, I'll fix myself up so that I'm presentable to him. But it's right here where the devil is, it's right here that the devil has turned so many people back from returning to the Lord, back into their backsliding. Because anything that keeps the believer from going to the Lord should raise an alarm. Anything that says you can't go to Christ should raise an alarm. Anything that prevents us from running to him, looking to him, seeking him, has got to raise concern. Now, we distinguish that, of course, and I don't need to expound this. There are those who say that they're going to the Lord, and it's a thin veneer, and there's nothing of substance in it, right? It's another excuse to paint over their inexcusable, unrepentant rebellion against the Lord. So I'm not denying that that's a possibility. But the fact is that nothing should keep us from truly turning to the Lord. And thankfully, the Lord knows the devil and our weakness and all that's involved in our pilgrimage. And he doesn't leave us. He doesn't leave us as open prey. He sees and knows all of this. And so the Lord comes to cut the devil off at the pass. And before we get there, the Lord comes to remove the obstacle and to hasten us on our way back to him. I mean, you, you, you see it vividly in all of these various passages like Jeremiah and Hosea and so on and so forth, where the Lord is saying, for example, the language of Jeremiah is, come to me with your backslide. In other words, you're not to fix it and then come to me. You're to actually bring the backsliding with you to me. Don't wait. You come to me with it. And I will not cause my anger to fall upon you. I will not keep my anger forever, as our text says. I will hear their backsliding. I will love them freely, for mine anger is turned away from him. And so the Lord promises this, and God uses at times various things to cause us to return. He gives us confidence and promises. Even when we are less inclined to cooperate, sometimes he brings the rebuke of his word. Thanks be unto God for the rebuke of his word. Sometimes he brings the sting of providence. Sometimes he brings the rod of affliction. Sometimes he brings the keys of church discipline. You remember the language of David in the Psalms, it was good for me to be afflicted. For before I was afflicted, I went astray. And afflictions are healing. You go to the physical therapy after surgery, and it is excruciatingly painful to like hold on to those bars and try, to, and try to, to walk and so on. But it's part of the healing process. And I can multiply examples from my own life and the life of, of others of the way in which the Lord uses His discipline, whether it's church discipline or whether it's His providential chastening and so on and so forth. I remember a man in one of my former congregations who was in a bad place spiritually, and he knew it. And the Lord was bringing the sting of the word to him, the sermons, pricking his conscience, and he was pushing it off and pushing it off. And then he's driving down the road one day on his motorcycle, and he started having convulsions while he was on his bike. Pulled over as quick as he could, fell off his motorcycle, and started vomiting blood into the, into the road. And he knew immediately the Lord had come for him. Right? The Lord was coming for him. And it was a turning point. 
And the Lord was merciful in that, in that, in that instance and turned him. And there was a beautiful recovery and, and coming back to, to the Lord. Overwhelming sense of the Lord bringing the sting of the rod. But this is the first step often in, 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 in terms of restoration. You know, God threw Jonah into the belly of a fish in order to recover him. Joseph into a pit. David into the despair of death. Peter into the humiliation of denial. All as means to bring about restoration and healing. God uses church discipline. We have all those beautiful words in Hebrews 12 and Galatians 6 and so on. In order to bring about, for those who are trained by it, the recovery of sinners. Sometimes the Lord applies His Word as an ointment. You know, how often the Lord came to those in the Gospels and He healed them with one word. He healed them with one word. And under the preaching at times, He comes with one word and heals, right? Pours oil into our, our soul. Think of earlier in Hosea chapter 2, verse 7, where it says, And He shall follow after her lovers, now she shall follow after her lovers, but she shall not overtake them. And she shall seek them, but shall not find them. Then shall she say, I will go and return to my first husband. For then was it better with me than now. Right? This is the language of a recovering Christian. Backsliding is a miserable, miserable condition to be in. No peace, no delight, no joy until we return to the lover of our souls. I mean, can you see the Lord's mercy in all of this? Drawing our hearts in His love. His love is so strong, so intense, to pursue and overtake us and to bring us to Himself and to put within us even a desire for reviving. But then fourthly, we have lastly, renew. So return is followed by renew. We're to do the first works. We're to strengthen that which remains. I mean, here in Hosea 14, there's a long description of this really in the verses that, that follow his description that he will love his people freely. All that the Lord is, all that he does, strengthens his people. You know, we're called, of course, to, as Matthew 11 says, holy violence in taking the kingdom. We're to be watchful. You know, carelessness is what ruins us. We're to be attentive, attentive to the Lord's eye, to the Lord's hand. That, that flame may, may get low, but it's not out. And we need the Holy Spirit to come and to blow upon it and to add fuel uh, to it. That which does remain needs to be strengthened and inflamed. You think of a coal. A coal, is getting, a coal is going out. You take it and then you place it next to hot coals in order to revive it. And the Lord comes and He's merciful in order to renew our love for Him. He uses all of these means of grace right, to pour His love into our hearts. And we use the means of grace as a means of expressing our love to Him. And so we go back to the book, reading all of those texts that are best suited to our state, singing all of those psalms that are best suited to our state. To use them appropriately. Not as some empty form, but as a means that brings us to Christ Himself. To see Him to have communion and fellowship with Him, to be near Him, to seek Him. You know, we want the water, the living water itself to refresh our souls. Not just the buckets that deliver that water. Communing with Christ and all the means He's given to us. Right, Looking to the Holy Spirit in them and through them. It doesn't, doesn't really matter where we are. I mean, Jonah was in the belly of a fish when he turned to the Lord. Here in Hosea 14, he says he'll love us 
freely. Notice all of what that means in verse 5. I will be as the dew unto Israel. He shall grow as the lily and cast forth his fruits as Lebanon. His branches shall spread and his beauty shall be as the olive tree and his smell as Lebanon. They that dwell under his shadow shall return. They shall revive as the corn and grow as the vine. The scent thereof shall be as the wine of Lebanon and so on. This is the Lord's work of grace. He says, I will do this. This is who I am and this is is what I do. His supply of grace, the dew of the Holy Spirit. He brings upon us. He enlarges our minds to take in more of His love. To pursue the fruit of repentance and those first works. He brings us back into the courtship and engagement and espousals. He awakens us. He brings us back to the basic gospel truths. To believe them as the truth afresh. To renew our love for all that the gospel teaches us. So that we catch, you know, you can, you've had it happen. You go to a place or you're in a circumstance and you catch the scent of an old smell. And with that scent, a whole flood of memories are brought back into your mind. It triggers it, right? The Lord is sending the perfume to us. He's sending it to us to bring back vivid memory of all that He's done for us, to bring us back to renewed faith, to restore our soul, as Psalm 23 says. We go back to things like the doctrine of justification. You think, you know, do, do you remember when, when this truth came upon you with power at, at the beginning? You know, the idea of an alien righteousness outside of ourselves, credited to our account, the righteousness of Christ, credited to the account of of his people, all that that entails, how we come empty to him, bankrupt, and he provides everything, right? He's the one who credits his own righteousness to us, to our account, so that we have all of our standing in his own righteousness before him. You can see it. You can taste it. You can be nourished by it. It's not my good frame. It's not my bad frame that makes me, my righteousness, better or worse because all of my righteousness is Christ's. We go back to the gospel truths. What is faith? What is it to have Christ as the object of faith? We go back to what amounts to old familiar friends regarding the truths of of the gospel. John Owen wrote this, and I think he's spot on. Quote, Therefore, the one thing most needed in our recovery, that grabs your attention, the one thing most needed in our recovery is a steady view of the glory of Christ in his person, grace, and office through faith and a constant, lively expression of faith in him as he has revealed to us in the Scripture. Contrary to what you might expect, what is needed in backsliding does not terminate on ourselves, but on himself. What will draw us out of our weakened condition is the sight of him, a sustained look of faith upon the glory of Jesus Christ. And there stands the Lord Jesus Christ before you this evening, And he's saying, I will love you freely. I am giving. You are receiving. I'll take you bruised and battered and backslidden. I know you're sick with all of your sins. And I know all of the other maladies that are sticking in you. Let there be no hesitancy. Come to me, Christ says. Look at me. Do you see the remedy in who I am? I am the great physician. Can you see it? That's the question. Can you see it? There aren't many things, there are few things more that will melt a wife's heart than to go with genuine sincerity to express deep, tender love for her. And you may have said stupid stuff, that morning and whatever else, 
but it brings a melting effect. Isn't that true with the Christian? Shouldn't that always be true with the Christian? The Lord Jesus Christ comes to us, who's done us no wrong. We're the ones who've done all the wrong. But he comes to us, and he says, I will love you freely. And we look upon him, and it melts our heart hearts with the great display of the love that he shows to us. We're to renew this sense and sight of the love of Christ. We're to go to his book, to listen to his voice, to believe every choice promise of his love that he offers to us. And then confess that he is willing and able to recover us, that when he has recovered us, that it's all of his glory, that when he has recovered us, remember with Peter, we're to be like Peter. The Lord says, when I recover you, go strengthen your brethren. The Lord recovers us. We're to do the same. Your decay, your spiritual decay, has affected your family, your children, your siblings, your marriage, your friends, those who are at church. You've spread your coldness. In this renewal, you're to spread the warmth of the love of the Lord. Get busy strengthening your brethren. How? By pointing them. Calling them with you to look at the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the Lord gives us means for the recovery of our backsliding. It leads us full circle back to him. May the Lord help us as we reflect upon these things. May it help us in our preparations for the supper. And may it prepare us to hear, God willing, next week about how these things are prevented. Let's stand for prayer. Almighty God in heaven, we bow down before thy majesty and glory. But we also, Lord, rejoice in that love which is opened and disclosed to us in the riches of the gospel. All that is seen in him, thine own beloved and only begotten Son, O Lord, grant to us help. Give, we ask, all of the help that we stand in need of, the renewing, the repenting, the returning, the remembering. Grant, O Lord, that the Spirit would so work in us to bring these fruit to the glory of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.